Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Well, hey, hey, friends. Welcome to uh, level 128 of the podcast. Hey, Joe the Wookie Riot, back getting a, another episode up on the weekend, but it's grad school. It's just sort of get used to it, friends. They might they might come earlier, but honestly, those will probably be episodes that I pre-recorded. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> which uh, there aren't there aren't really a lot of them. There's like one. So, ugh, oh, well, somehow all the news and the TV and everything will, will get to your ear holes on the weekends from me and uh, in the midst of all the the grad school work it just started i've only had one out of two classes yet somehow i already have homework in the other class yes uh go to grad school for history they said it'll be fun they said it'll be easy you're smart yeah (laughs) yeah oh so easy not but uh, anywho, I uh, we recorded or uh, we I'm the queen I'm the queen of England we I uh, <laughs> I'm the I'm the little pig who said we the whole way home I just saw that old commercial again we with my pinwheels <laughs> but no uh, I recorded a bunch of news but then uh, oh there were sirens they're coming for me friends but uh, yeah I, I didn't get all the the television and everything and I, I just wanted to, to get at least some catch up of course I say catch up and there's been shows on television that I haven't watched yet this week and uh, I'm probably behind but that's fine that's fine I'll, I'll figure it out I do like watching you know one or two episodes like at night and everything everything works out good so <laughs> you know what friends I'm just Doing the best I can, but uh, we're gonna do it. Gonna do the podcast now. I don't know why I'm singing. I'm gonna make your dreams come true. Doing it my way. I don't. I have no idea. Uh, I think uh, it's because I was listening to an episode of Hollywood Babylon, <clears throat> and they were talking, talking about Laverne and Shirley. And uh, yeah, so there you go. I blame that because I do I do listen to a butt ton of podcasts. I'm actually behind on those too. I think there's like 19. Uh, I was actually right, be- right before this. I was listening to a little bit of Hollywood Babylon because Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman are uh, are are the bomb.com. Diggity bam bam babiggity. Yeah, who? Yeah, they're really really good friends. Yeah, lots of voices and lots of singing already here on the podcast. I'm never never gonna uh, get to get to what what I want to talk about. But that that's okay because you're you're along for the ride. So let's see. I I mean I just I did have some rando thoughts, you know, some fuzzy thoughts, not rando thoughts. I'm not a rando. I'm a regulo. Uh, I, I had some fuzzy thoughts. Just uh, you may have noticed the title. What's up, danger of this episode? And really, the reason the reason I made that the title is because of the Into the Spider Verse soundtrack. And friends. By golly, I have listened to this soundtrack since I bought it. When I saw it for the second time with Blue, I like in the car as we got, I was like, you know what, I'm buying the soundtrack. I really liked the soundtrack while I was watching the movie. And uh, since then, I've listened to it. And it's actually really good music to have on in the background while you do other things. And I, I, I noticed last semester when I was doing school, I picked up a super long, like a bunch of uh, 
John Williams music that I just put on in the background, something that I don't have to actively listen to because I do have a bit of ADD. If it's something that I'm actively listening to, then I'm not I'm not getting nothing done. <laughs> Absolutely, positively, nothing, nothing, friends. So, uh, but I picked up I picked up the. Uh, the into the spider verse soundtrack and the very first song in there is what's up danger what's up danger what's up danger don't be a stranger i don't know if those are the words <laughs> they probably are but uh yeah i was listening listening to it and it's just so good it is uh really brought a lot of joy to my life and it has been a really great way just to have stuff in the back i look forward to to having music on the background to get that add portion of my brain just pseudo listening to something while i uh while I concentrate on something else, and uh, it's it's been good, and I, I gotta say, it's a really, really good soundtrack, it's not the score, it's actually the music, the soundtrack, um, but yeah, it, uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I think uh, this, this podcast, not brought to you by it, because they're by no means a sponsor, because this podcast is unsponsored, everything you get here just comes out of my pocket, or out of my brain, uh, and that's that's okay. That's okay. It's worked that way for two and a half years. We're like at two and a half years. Seriously, friends, uh, a little probably over two and a half years. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it just comes out of my brain and it's all for you. But that's totally okay because uh, I really, really enjoy doing it all for you. And I hope uh, I hope you enjoy listening to it. And I guess if you're still here after 128 episodes or if you're just finding us, welcome. Welcome. Hey, hey, welcome to the madness that is is me. And uh, me rambling at the beginning. What else on the fuzzy? Oh, okay. So this almost was the title of of the podcast. And it basically just is, fuck Bill Maher. Wow. Uh, if you don't know, like, yeah, I had an episode back where I just said it over and over. Because he, uh, he just had some really, really stupid and sensitive comments about when Stan Lee passed and about comic book culture and literally trying to blame like people that like comics and superheroes for like the election of Trump and it, it just was stupid and asinine and made no sense and yes he's entitled to his opinion but his opinion is fucking wrong and he's a big asshat and uh, screw him so much in fact yeah I think uh, it was that asshats and more with the clever uh, clever symbols instead of letters so I could have it as a title without cursing on the title uh, and that was the same when we found out about the uh, writer of Border Town also being an asshat but it appears that uh, Bill Maher's not done and uh, I, based on what he said I bet you he's absolutely not done um, but basically he doubled down on his asshattery uh, about comic book culture and then took aim at Kevin Smith making fun of uh, grown men wearing superhero stuff and and then there's a lot more and I don't want to I don't want to retread everything he said other than to say fuck him he's uh yeah totally done and I actually was someone who thought Bill Maher was pretty funny but uh, sometimes some they draw the line in the sand and you decide which side you're on and I, I certainly am on the side of other people that like comics and uh, he doesn't think comic books are literature well screw you and obviously he's never read a good comic book or he's probably one of those asshats that just like looks at something and and doesn't give it any sort of option i've read so many amazing comics yes there's sometimes they bright and explodey and silly sure sure that is also part of the medium but yeah whatever fuck him uh, he's obviously never read The Dark Knight Returns or or some Swamp Thing stuff or or a bunch. There is there's a lot 
of amazingness. I'm literally looking to my left as I'm talking, and I have a bunch of trades leaning up against my wall underneath some Star Wars action figures that are hanging on my wall. So I know just from his comments what Bill Maher thinks of me, and uh, he thinks I'm a loser, and that I need to grow up. And uh, you know what? You may be right about those two things, Bill Maher, if that is your real name. <laughs> well, fuck you, sir. Fuck you. And uh, taking aim at Kevin Smith, who is a big, bright beacon of joy in the universe. Yeah. <clears throat> really. You know where to put it. <laughs> so, whatever. It, fuck him. All right. That's enough talking about him. That's enough time on the podcast. Um, what else? Uh, you know, Flavor of the Geek. There is news that has happened since I talked about news last time. But uh, I'm not I'm not going to go over all of it. I'll, I'll save it for a later date. Probably the recording next week. Which, uh, hopefully, I can actually just get a full one up. Because, uh, of course, I have continued to read comics. And then there's a bunch of TV to talk about. And then a bunch of news that has ended up. But, you know, uh, what can I do? Also, what I didn't get to, I did uh, watch Suicide Squad Hell to Pay. I saw that on Hulu. Um, it is a DC animated movie and uh, features the Suicide Squad. And uh, it was okay. It was good. It was it was fun. It uh, definitely is a little bit more adult then, uh, well, actually, as adult as it probably should be, being as it's a Suicide Squad, but, you know, um, Deadshot and Harley Quinn and um, who else? The Snake Guy. I didn't write any notes about this. It literally just says Suicide Squad held a pay review. Um, one, of, one of the Serpent villains and then Captain Boomerang and uh, what's his... Uh, uh, Bronze Tiger, which is really great, and of course Bronze Tiger is an anti-hero, not necessarily a villain, but of course it's all going by Amanda Waller, and then there's stuff that connects to Doctor Fate, and stuff that connects to Vandal Savage, <clears throat> and then of course uh, Reverse Flash is involved, and Banshee, and a bunch, a bunch of characters, and they're all going after this this item that basically can uh, can keep somebody from going to hell. And uh, so, and and different characters are interested in getting it for different reasons. And Amanda Waller has her own interest in it, and has has contracted the Suicide Squad to get it back. And there's uh, lots of lots of fighting and explosions, and uh, lots of death, a lot more death of uh, certain characters that I wasn't expecting. And uh, yeah, it's it's enjoyable. It's free on Hulu if you do that thing. I mean, you have to pay for the Hulu, but uh, or or use your friend's password, I suppose. Don't do that. That's not not right. But everybody does it, so whatever you do, you live your best life. I won't tell you how to live your life. You don't tell me how to live mine. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun. It's uh it's it's worth watching. It uh yeah, if you've got some free time, check it out. Check it out right there on the Hulu. I also watched Split. Man, friends, I really wanted to see this because I wanted to go see Glass in theaters. Of course, I say that, and now Glass has been in theaters for two weekends, and I haven't seen it. I still really want to see it, but I had to see Split before. Um, I tried to find a way to watch Split, like, everywhere for free, and it was nowhere. Apparently, it was on HBO at some point, and I missed it when I had HBO. But um, I found it at my local Target for, like, five bucks. So I just ended up buying it and watching it, and oh, my goodness, this M. Night Shyamalan movie was so incredible. In fact, if I had watched it during the year that it came out, in 2016, it would have definitely made my top ten. I, I thought it was so thoroughly enjoyable and James McAvoy after you watch the movie split if you don't think that he is one of the best if not the best actor working in Hollywood I would be really surprised because uh, basically the the villain has has disassociative or what PID person disassociative personality disorder basically he's he's has multiple personalities and uh <clears throat> 
it, it he's lots of lots of different personalities living up in his noggin and they and a bunch of them show up and it is it is quite amazing anything from a child to a proper british woman to a, a sort of i don't know like bronxy like city city smart guy to actual him to other stuff yeah and uh and there's the the mystery of the beast is it a personality is it not and there's his uh psychiatrist and uh, then there's there's girls that are kidnapped right at the go from the movie, and and it is amazing. It really is so so good. It is not a horror movie. It is a thriller. There's lots of tension, and uh, it's so incredibly good, so incredibly good. And I wanted to see Glass because of its connections to uh, to another movie uh, beforehand. But now having seen this movie, I'm like yes, yes, and yes. And if you haven't seen Split. Find a way to watch it. If you're my friend, I own it. You can borrow it. But it's so incredibly good. And uh, now now to find the time to go see Glass in the theater. Uh, and t- stay tuned. Stay tuned on that front. But uh, we'll just move into the next segment. Uh, small screen Star Wars, Simpsons, sci-fi superhero synopsis. Lots of television to talk about. Like I said on the last episode, I was like laid up in bed for like six days with a cold from hell. And I and I watched a lot. Caught up on a lot. So yeah, somehow still in behind. Because you can't say sick forever. And uh, then, then real life intervenes. But uh, I, I watched all of Runaway Season 2. Man, I finally caught all this show. Um, Danny had it ranked on his top five of last year. And while full transparency, this uh, this season did not boot off any of the shows that were on my fo- top five. Still a really good time. It picks right up where the last season ended with the diverse kids of privilege and various powers on the run with their evil parents trying to track them down. Uh, Jonah continues to be a mysterious power to contend with. And I was so into this through episode seven when all sorts of craziness goes down. Um, the show soars when it deals with different types of teenagers trying to get along and really is righteous in dealing with Gert's mental health in a real way that's delicate and poignant. The parents really shine in the various ways they try to save their kids in a their evil is in the right place sort of way. Then things do go a bit bonkers after episode 7. I don't really care about the Gaborum church and there's a lot there including a moment that's supposed to tug heartstrings but turns out to just be semi-pointless. The show also just sort of ends and not in a way I dug. It's meant to be a season-ending cliffhanger, but ultimately it just felt like the hook at the end of a regular episode to me. Um, but that that was my complaint about season one also, in which the penultimate episode was really great, and I felt should have ended the season, but then they chose a, another episode um, that I thought would have actually been a really great opener for this season. But oh well, it is okay. I did really enjoy myself while I was watching Runaway Season 2, and there are all sorts of great performances. Not having read the source material, I really can't compare it to that, but there is so much good stuff. Examples of the good stuff include some really awesome one-liners that place this in our era, but someday might actually date the show. Also, some dope Easter eggs connecting this to the greater MCU and other Marvel television. Uh, you can think like Roxxon, think Black Panther. The LGBT portrayals feel natural. Um, the jock and nerd interactions are really, really good and, and feel real. The teenager conflict, you know, that's just part of the teenage life. Many different ways that the parents are shown, uh, including different types of, uh, of of performances based on what's going on with them. You get drones, uh, the always wonderful Dynaniacus, Old Lace, and... Uh, you know, none of the idiosyncrasies and details of character feel like stereotypes to me. Uh, the subaltern characters are real people. I mean, I know Danny's going to be mad at me for not loving this as much as him. Uh, actually, he is mad at me. We have exchanged like a text 
back and forth. But uh, I would this would probably hit my top ten if I made a list beyond five. I'm thinking, or uh, be in my honorable mentions. It's an enjoyable geeky TV show, and there's a lot to like. As I said, I think I just found certain ways the stories went a tad convenient, and even though the kids are identifiable. They're still so very privileged, and I never really feel bad for them. All their problems are solvable, and that just sticks in my craw. I know the hostel and other stuff is from the comic, but I just think being homeless is no way as glamorous as the show presents. Uh, dumpster diving should never be gourmet. I just I just feel a, a cursory relationship with some of the main characters. I was more interested in the goings-on of the evil parents a lot of times. I really found myself identifying with the malignantly used Topher and Alex's lady, Livy. If you're looking for romance between teens, this season's not going to disappoint on any front. Lots of will-they-won't-they they here, and while this is not a super sexy show per se, there is sex at a mature teen level while maintaining a family atmosphere. Certainly Runaways is a love letter to greater Los Angeles. The tone is so L.A. It could be an advertisement to visit the city and see Griffith Park, Hollywood, Chinatown, and Beverly Hills. I really, <clears throat> I felt like this show about generational conflict just doesn't commit to the fact that the pride needs to go down. In fact, Alex Wilder is the only runaway I'm still on board with by the end, and that's sort of sad since I do know some things about his character in the comics. I feel like this is a, a good show that just could have been better. And I won't get started on what goes down after the events of the seventh episode, which I just felt made things a scotia convoluted and not as interesting. Um, I went, I do want drama between the kids and their parents, but uh, but not what I got. Now, don't get me wrong, there is plenty of drama. There's some really fantastic scenes, some really excellent dialogue. If there is a third season of the show, I'm down for it because I have faith in the cast. I do love their acting, and I am curious where this all could go. Time's gonna tell on that front. But uh, now I just can't wait to argue with Danny the Deuce about all this. I'm sure at some point we will uh, finally connect and he'll come in and we'll talk uh, talk Runaways. Um, I also saw Happy Season 1. This was a show on my list to see but that I just hadn't got around to. And literally because I was sick, I uh, I got the chance to watch, watch the first season. And holy hell, uh, courtesy of being knocked down, like I said, for the count for that week-long cold uh, that was sent from the depths of evil incarnate i watched these eight episodes of this wonder of a show follows nick Sachs, a former cop turned hitman in his later years he ends up being what's the word i want to say terrorized but that's not right he ends up harassed and bothered by the imaginary friend of a young girl named Haley, who has been kidnapped by an evil santa claus or as my subtitles kept saying very bad santa now it's up to Nick to somehow survive a bunch of criminal types who would love nothing more than him dead and also to navigate creepy children's television. Uh, there's Chinatown mobsters, car crashes, and so much more. Happy is voiced by Patton Oswalt. Amazingly, seeing childhood innocence juxtaposed with drugs, evil, and violence is so dang crazy. Chris Maloney is so dang good at being a, a drug-addled, always close to a heart attack, washed-up hero, and the show has some really memorable baddies besides santa there's smoothie the creeper fixer guy amongst a whole slew of weirdo portrayals it even includes other imaginary friends whole story is interwoven so well <clears throat> and i guess that should all be expected since this is based off a graphic novel by grant morrison he of the weirdness and final crisis batman r.i.p fame this show explored the seedy criminal underworld in new york while trying to save a child who is connected to nick in a very interesting way 
full of profanity and blood and adult material. And in my feverish state, I could not stop watching the show. It's action hero stuff with Nick giving you the performance of a career that sets his character right next to glamorous 80s, 90s stuff from Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis. I don't know where this ranks on my shows of 2018 since it's still sitting with me, but I can say this to me is one of the best of last year in Geeky TV. It's short at eight episodes, and I'm looking forward to season two, which drops sometimes this spring, so think like May or April, and is reported to have an Easter theme with geriatric brawls, Weird Al Yankovic playing Smoking Man Baby, Psycho Easter Bunnies, Big Show, and Margaret, Exploding Nuns, High Art, The Pope, Cowboys, and Skinless Guys. I mean, what's what's not to be intrigued by by all those things? The first season of the show was irreverent crude and lewd with unexpected heart and it looks like they're going even further in the second it's so dark and profane you will watch and wonder how this was allowed on cable tv with all the f-bombs murder mayhem but you might find yourself also enjoying this story of rescuing innocence lots of surprises and images that are going to stick with you it's good and if you do the netflix it's free test the testing the limits of what a show can be is exactly what they do and enjoy this my friends also sorry in advance for some of the things this show is going to put in front of your eye holes but uh it's gonna be enjoyable i think i also being sick watched season one and two of the good place and uh, i don't want this to be all longo reviews of things that i caught while i was sick but um, you can catch the show on Netflix. Hulu has season three, but alas, that uh, that starts it. Well, when I looked, it was episode six was the first episode they had. Um, does it tell you how much I like this show that I was willing to miss some episodes from season three and catch everything up to or be at least as up to date as possible with the show? Basically, if you're wondering about the show, it's a lady named Eleanor ends up going to heaven aka the good place but realizes she shouldn't be there she ends up bonding with other characters like chidi the ethics professor tahani the uber tall and hot brit of privilege and jianyu the silent monk who is much more than he seems while eleanor uh, wonders if she's going to be able to avoid being found out if she's going to be able to avoid being sent to the bad place she gets up to shenanigans and you watch and you laugh and smile as all sorts of weird stuff goes down and just when you think you know what the whole whole deal with yogurt filled heaven is the story twists and turns to something completely new by the time you get to the end of season two you're pretty breathless and to say this is a gonzo original comedy is really an understatement it's all sorts of fun and any lovers of shows like Parks and Rec are going to enjoy this. Yes, it is not technically geek TV, but I watched it and figured I'd give it a shout out. Kristen Bell and Ted Danson are so fun to watch in this weirdo comedy about the afterlife that somehow, within its satire stereotypes and belief systems, actually explores concepts of goodness and social hierarchies and more. It's really good stuff, and once you watch the first two seasons, you might get lucky with the third dropping on Netflix after all the episodes air. I'm glad I finally caught it all, even if it was at the expense of a massive fever and being bedridden. I also, not recently, well not unrecently, is that even a word? Anyways, I have actually, over the last month, while I was on holiday break, caught up with all of rick and morty seasons one to three and uh i have seen episodes of the zany and wild show before but i've never sat down and watched it all and honestly i'm so glad i finally did this comedy is everything i enjoy about irreverent cartoons and the entire multiverse shenanigans that go down for morty and his super genius grandfather are just 
freaking enjoyable to watch. If you like sci-fi, there is so much for you here. The creator Justin Roiland describes the show as a sociopathic genius scientist who drags his inherently timid grandson on insanely dangerous adventures across the universe. There's tributes to Back to the Future, The Purge, and so much more. Every episode's 22 minutes, and now is a good time to catch up with it all. See how penises can save the galaxy. Watch a ship tragically protect Rick's granddaughter. Find out about Evil Morty, Glory in the Parasite episode, and just enjoy a show that is smart, wacky, and does not give two shits about anything. I've seriously rewatched so many episodes of the show, and just that factor of being able to enjoy the show over and over says something about its quality. I think this fills a hole that's been left in my soul ever since the cancellation of Futurama, and not because of inherent similarities between the two shows, but because I need irreverent science fiction cartoons. It is nice to have animation surprise you and make you laugh out loud in gut-busting fits. It is nice to know one of the main characters is not a good person, but still somehow find the humanity of the evil genius who is so often drunk. Plus, there's a bunch for Morty's family and weird planets, weird aliens, and more. It is it is so incredibly enjoyable. It's completely irreverent and, and obviously created and written by people that love all of this, this science fiction genre stuff. They really enjoy what they do and I really love this show I'm so content that there's like seven more ten episode seasons that are going to come in the future um, this show takes its time to be smart and witty with its wild stories and for that I'm so grateful good cartoons are the best this truly is one of the best of them like Simpsons uh, good but in a much much different way uh, you can catch it all on Hulu if you were interested I don't know what else to say about it but suffice to say I need to have a guest at some point come on and talk more about the show with me. Also, I didn't want to spoil stuff because I think it's that good. Enjoy Rick and Morty, my friends. If you haven't seen it, if you have, just go and enjoy it again. It is really incredible. Um, what else? Oh, there's so many, many shows. Uh, I did actually watch all of Marvel's Agent, Agent Carter season one and two as well. Uh, oh, Peggy Carter, the love interest of Steve Rogers that he keeps a picture of in his in his pocket watch. And if um, I also watched this on Hulu, in case you were wondering. But this show, I remember really enjoying it both seasons, and then and then it uh, well, I, I watched season one, and then I was meant to watch season two, and then it was canceled, and I was like, what in the hell? But uh, Agent Carter is so incredible. Like I said, Peggy Peggy Carter is just beautiful an amazing action star all you have to do is watch this show and be like why why can't they make a great black widow movie or or do more with peggy carter you know season one deals with an entire thing with howard stark you get uh you get dominic cooper i think is his name coming back as as uh tony stark's father also there's uh, an actor who plays jarvis and then um what else you get you get more russian baddies and season two you know season one is in new york season two and it's all about stark tech season two ends up going to la and dealing with a completely different sort of multi-dimensional threat um and then there there's love interest stuff for peggy but this show isn't about her finding a man because uh, her heart is with steve rogers and there's moments where she's just like really really you can tell how how much she loves steve and it, it really is heartwarming and 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 you feel it you feel it deep in your soul but then uh you get to see peggy just kick some ass 
and uh, she she's running up against this is the 1950s and she's stuck in the middle of you know the boys club where it's like hey doll give me some coffee yet she's she's part of the you know the the organization that will eventually become shield and uh trying trying to prove her worth and then there there are moments where you get dum dum dugan showing up uh and there's just so much it is it is really incredible there's those little nods to the greater marvel universe of that time you know because there's not that much that we've seen between basically captain america the first avenger and then when you when you get to uh you know iron man and all those movies there are some flashbacks you know in other movies but you don't get to see a lot and this really really fills a, a little bit of a gap there and just gives you some really wonderful stuff um it it's by far the best of the Marvel television shows, in my opinion. Uh, season two is a little bit different. Uh, the ratings did drop, which is why the show got canceled. But it, it doesn't drop in quality. It's still so incredibly good, and they they spend so much time keeping it, you know, in the era and taking that time that you are actually in a different time. You know, you're in you're in Hollywood during during the golden age. You know, or at least when when it was much different, and the the movie studios reigned supreme, and you get so much good interplay between her and uh, Howard Stark, uh, especially all the stuff with her and Jarvis, and then there's the other agents, and it's just so incredibly enjoyable. This is another show. I really what I want to do because Danny loves this show too is just talk much much more about it with Danny. So I'll just leave it there. Marvel's Agent Carter season one and two. I'm so happy. That I finally like rewatched season one and then caught up on season two, and uh, yeah, but those those are all the the big seasons that I caught completely. I also, have actually finished uh, Punisher, but I'm really hoping to get Danny on so we can just talk Punisher together. Uh, otherwise, if I can't, the next episode I'll I'll talk about some thoughts through the episodes of Punisher. Watch it though, if you enjoy the Punisher, definitely watch it as a real brief. But uh, let's go into some episodes, some episodic television of more current stuff that's on. We'll start with Deadly Class Season 1, Episode 1, The Pilot, San Francisco 1987. Wong, a.k.a. Master Lin, starts off class right away with bloody noses and ruminations on teenagers and war slash murder. And then we meet Marcus, homeless, apparently a murdering arsonist with issues from abuse in a boy's home and hating Reagan. Yet Angel Dust Hallucinations. Fuck, this is great, and I'm only five minutes into the show. Cue the soundtrack from my youth. Violent ninja action and on to school. Uh, also, animated memories that are straight out of the comic by Remender. Um, and then King's Dominion and the diverse motley crew of students learning the deadly arts. Black arts instruction. Lots of students hating each other and gangs divided by race. Homework of killing people. Hand-to-hand combat. Mother Truck and Henry Rollins as the poison teacher. And, and and I'm watching this and I'm like, dude, I, I need to read this comic. I mean, the show references, the television show references Chris Claremont and John Beer, right, John Beer and right in, in, in dialogue and fudge, male fantasy, mainstream melodrama bullshit, so much radicalness to talk about. And I am hooked on this show. Uh, now to debate whether I read the comics before I keep enjoying it all in full transparency. I've read issues one to five. See, the long and short is this is actually a comic that my oldest child love, love, loves. And uh, somehow when when we ended up moving, she she went to move in with a friend. I ended up uh, couch surfing with Blue for a while before I found the apartment that I live in now. 
and uh, now now kiddo is 19 and doing their own thing uh, but I got all of all of the kids comics and in there is deadly class and uh, of course uh, Kay was pulling Deadly Class. The most current issue is actually sitting on the floor of my room, and because uh, I'm dad, I pick up I pick up the pull list of the child. So we have literally the entire run of Deadly Class. I think the first like 20 issues are in trades. They do like issues one to five, you know, five ten. So we have all those, and I've had them and been like, yeah, I want to read them, but I never got around to it. Well, because of this amazing show, I did finally read issues one to five. I won't review them on this episode. It'll probably be in a future episode. Man, really good, really really enjoyable. And uh, while the while the show uh, from the one episode is similar but different to the comic, there are there are panels that are just animated straight out of the comic, literally the exact uh, art style, but but done in where you get motion to it, and it's it's all so good. <laughs> it's really really good. Uh, I've told everybody I threw it up on Laughing at Fuzzballs. Watch Deadly Class and it just started on Sci-Fi. The second episode is out. I haven't seen it yet but watch it. Then there's uh, Gifted Season 2 Episode 10. This is uh, entitled Enemy of My Enemy and they're still doing all the M's or capitals. Andy's confused but reaching out to his sister. John Proudstar aka Thunderbird is in the hands of the purifiers and the inner circle is still figuring out the consequences of what went down at the finale. Uh, the mid-season finale from episode 9. It, it fade in the in the hands of the underground too. Uh, that's it's interesting. One of the members of the inner circle in the hands of the immune underground. Yay for picking things right up and then connecting it to a promise made in flashback in simpler times. Marine Mutant Corps in Afghanistan is a part of the show's history. It's super cool. There's torture music that never sounded so cool to me, but it's not so great for uh, Thunderbird. Nothing like a, a solid dude. That is Thunderbird being held captive to get Polaris and Andy to join the underground peeps to rescue him. It results in a touchy reunion for the Struckers, minus his rightfully distrustful sister Lauren. Lots and lots of great character interactions here. I especially dig the one between Jace Turner and Johnny. And Man Alive, is there some brutality involving a shotgun? Also, just am a fan of seeing mutants use their powers. There's some real goodness in that regard here. Blink is a moment which is pure comic book. And then there is whatever I should think about Andy. When it's all done, you know the purifiers are going to be pissed. Alas, team-ups with villains and heroes uh, are not meant to last, but it was good while it was going on. Bring on the antagonism triangle uh, between uh, the purifiers, the inner circle, and the mutant underground. But first, some smooching. And also, I just love Lorna's Polaris and her new headband, and I hope there's more for that at some point with her. And uh, some more diving into her past. But on to episode 11 memento we start with further von strucker mystery within uh their history involving a music box box which pops up throughout the episode that does involve more flashbacks it does spell interestingness interestingness for lauren strucker also like that the writers did not forget about the thousands of recently freed mutant prisoners the show says criminals but i'm sure they weren't all bad Okay, the new baked transport flame clap recruits for the inner circle might be baddies that like to take down cruise ships. But, but you know what I mean. Not everybody that got free is bad. It's just the ones we meet are bad. It also lets us know Reva believes in different types of tools. Those who destroy and those who build from the ashes. And I agree. 
Polaris is a queen. Of course, within this world, mutants are seen as terrorists, so we got to continue on with Jace Turner and the Purifiers, plus Benedict Ryan, who hosts a Fox News-style television program. Said it before, but one of the best things about this show is all the character moments does not disappoint. I root for Eclipse and Polaris, but dang, their love is complicated, and not just because they're currently on different sides. Line of this episode... What? Your race war isn't turning out like you hoped? <laughs> really good. Uh, Jace Turner searches down mutants. Underground turns to the Morlocks. There's flirtation and crooked police and lots going on. I like the one who, kid who compares uh, the hate of the purifiers with the clan. That's right, Jace. You're in an effed up hate group. And uh, they always find a way to make me loathe the character of Jace Turner. This is a really good episode, but one of those calm before the storm, character and plot building, solid filler episodes. The setups at the end for Lauren Strucker, the Mutant Underground, and Reva are really good suspense builders. And then you go to <clears throat> episode 12, Home. The non-X-Men show about different approaches approaches to the fight um, for mutant civil rights for many different groups just keeps on keeping on with solid episodes. We get past story for Blink, but then there's lines like the glorious crusade of the X-Men, and I'm like, wait, why kid myself that this isn't an X-Men show? It's just uh, semi-dystopic and, and set right after them. It is weird how Fox can get drama and action with mutants so right on television, but then do what they do in the movies and do it sometimes so wrong. I am looking at you, Wolverine Origins. You're a bad movie, even if I did defend you on comic book movie defenders. But anywho, the connection between Lauren and Andy Strucker continues with new details. While the Frost Cuckoos try to convince Andy that his sis and family would be better off with Inner Circle, the underground meets to unite against forces working against them. And uh, Lauren and her mom seek help from uh, Caitlin's brother, who works for Homeland Security. Polaris's allegiances are tested when the new recruits mission is revealed. There's some awesome moments for Lauren, whose powers have strengthened. And also, finally, we see the power of Urg of the Morlocks. Uh, when that all goes down, it changes some of the group dynamics that we become used to. Hello, sad music montaging for uh, the way this episode left everything. Only four more episodes to go to see where this cool-ass show is going to end up. But, man... The Gifted is amazing. Now, Gotham Season 5, Episode 1, Year Zero. Lord help me, I am starting what they claim is the final season of Gotham. Hello, dear. I heard you were going to be good and not break my heart again. Ooh, are those Joker muffins? Well, that's nice. Sure, I'll sit for a couple hours. Ugh, here we go. For the record, I'm going to spoil the hell out of this since I don't care about the show so skip if you do not want any spoilers for gotham but we're in gotham and the bridges are gone i know that from last season and now it's day 391 of no man's land so a year jump from previous stuff and riddler's doing fine looks like the baddie from the comics penguin also looks cool with a semi-automatic instead of an umbrella harvey's still drinking but now keeps a shotgun on the bar gordon is all swatted up and then the twist that they're all working together and i'm like what Fuck, this is cheesy already. But then we we go back to day 87 and 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 we were seeing the future. So now we know where the show's going, but we don't. And it's day 87 and you get Gordon exposition about what's going on. Uh, split up turf, Penguin in City Hall, Barbara in the Sirens, Scarecrow turf in the West, Freeze in the North, Firefly as turf, and then a missing Jerome. Uh, Gordon protecting innocence, but no help from the outside. Selena has a broken back because they thought somehow it'd be better for her uh, <clears throat> her to be the one shot instead of running Batgirl. They get Bruce and Alfred looking out for her. 
I guess this season is going to be all the days between that awful beginning, that was super cheesy, and where everything ends up to there. Uh, you have homeless, long-haired Ed Nigma who's having blackouts. Gordon next to a spotlight with young Bruce Wayne talking with him. It'd be poetic if I liked this show more. Uh, it is one of the first times I thought of Gordon as a future commissioner, though, and when he was standing next to the spotlight, but then had to be run by young Batman showing up. Uh, Barbara training with Penguin. And then a moment where the show actually makes me jump. Uh, they use Scarecrow and his minions in a, in a cool way. Uh, but then they prolong shots and they make it cheesy. You get Gordon versus Scarecrow and uh, Bruce's Night Vision Man. Also, a billionaire able to bring in supplies when rations and medicine are stolen, man. Um, Selena has a good acting moment, even though we're being shot and paralyzed by Jeremiah. Is uh, a killing joke reference that uh, I actually I'm thankful Becker wasn't involved. That the taint of the show wasn't uh, wasn't upon her since. Uh, just Batman's not on the show either, but the taint is totally on him. Remember, uh, Night Vision Goggle Boy doing his thing. But uh, what else? Penguin's a dick, starving people while he feasts, and then feeding steak to his dog, Edward. <laughs> that, was, that was sort of funny. I'm like, oh, we named him after Enigma. And then uh, a chopper shows up with supplies, and we should have all known what was going to happen. And apparently the GCPD uh, only has three vehicles with armored windows in their carpool, but that's not as bad as the chopper, which just conveniently crashes into a warehouse. Uh, there's a standoff, and then Tabby becoming the luckiest member of this cast, being able to die and get out before the shit show continues. Thankfully, uh, goodies the goodies get to win, and of course, different factions want to kill each other now more than ever. Gonna be honest, I sort of stopped paying attention towards the end, but there was a transmission from some lady on the other side of the bridge offering help to Gordon, Bruce going to a witch to help Selena, and then a limping kid who wants help, and Gordon says, suit up! So I guess the next episode was going to be that. And I wasn't wrong. Episode 2, Trespassers. Uh, now there's kids in danger, but props to the wee tyke who walked nine miles for help. And I cannot blame Gordon for leading the team to save 20 kids. Oh, and uh, the witch that I mentioned earlier is Poison Ivy. Not a bad touch, but definitely bad mannequins used for dead people. Uh, at least we can count on misplaced British accents showing up. Uh, seriously, more on that later. Barbara's Club is going on, and there's a good social distortion song covering Johnny Cash. Uh, if you've never heard Social Distortion's version of Ring of Fire, do yourself a favor. I'll admit, I still like Barbara's character and her new do. Her new hairdo is really good. Uh, she looks really pretty. Uh, then there's Judge, Jailer, Most Hated Son, Gordon. That was a really nice characterization of him by his ex-Babs. Of course, Gotham now has a dark zone. I like Gordon calling it the Badlands. And hello, evil people in neon, like those rocker guys from Batman and Robin. Except there's no cool Offspring song in the background. Then there's Bane wannabes, huffing smoke, wearing bondage gear to boot. Uh, wait, let me go back to baddies wearing neon makeup in a place that never got back power. Sure, makeup application is important when suffering, but lame, 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 lame. Ugh, why do I watch this show? Oh yeah, I hope for, for Batman, like the teaser promised, and more Jeremiah Joker, but way to go, Gordon. You went to save 20 kids and you saved three. Did I mention the cell trapping Ivy by the Brits is supposed to be safe with salt in the ground? But they only sprinkled small amounts, and the room is freaking huge. I don't, I don't know why I bother getting so mad about this show. But uh, then you get Poison Ivy claiming the park where, where she is is mutating, and okay, why not protect Ivy Bruce so she can find the magical seed under the oaks, and then it goes back to Riddler's blackouts. 
Honestly, this is one of the most uh, interesting things about what's going on. Um, it's a very interesting puzzle. But then there's bad acting with a mystery member from the Street Demons Gang. And yes, you heard that right. <clears throat> Blah. The GCPD has limited radio antenna capacity. Ivy is, of course, a bad lady and kills the Cockney guys who actually had pitchforks. Seriously, like the entire the thing split up and now members of Gotham City suddenly have Cockney accents. Fuck this show. Gordon and Harvey go to a creepy house where there's a creepy kid with a creepy cannibal lady named Mother. Riddler discovers his blackouts might actually um, be uh, him being a mass murderizer. Him starting a war. <clears throat> Ivy actually gives Bruce the, the seed to save his friend, which might unlock her darker nature. And even with all the craziness, at least Gordon is intent on being a good guy. And all there is to contend with now is the smoky S&M guys with their monster truck and the makeup people. But then that's anticlimactic because right as it tenches up, Barbara shows up and shoots them all with like a, an ATV with a machine gun on it. Uh, Bruce takes the magic seed to Selena. Uh, Selena actually has nice thoughts about a younger Ivy. Um, I, I, don't, I don't like Selena in a bad young and helpless uh, I do like her as future Catwoman, and that's the whole point of the seed. Uh, then, of course, she seizes, and then you go back to the street showdown where it's blah, 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 headshots and uh, turreted ATV babs murderizing everybody and really whatever. It, it, this show is what it is. I do like the idea of Gordon and Babs teaming up. Uh, the kids save, sure, they save three. Uh, this Oh, man, there were so many people in the cast of this episode. I almost feel bad for the writers because everything is so cheesy and I'm not even sure the actors are trying anymore. Uh, more refugees to take care of for Gordon. The music is appropriately thematic and uplifting. And then Bruce is talking to a doctor with a stabilized cat who can walk now. Huggy, huggy. And she has cat eyes. This show is a mess and not in a wonderful way. Uh, I... I know I'm going to finish it, and that, that actually makes me mad at myself, although uh, there was an episode this week, and uh, I was like, maybe I'll watch it, and then I fell asleep instead, uh, but I don't want to be grumpy, Wookie, so I'm going to move on to something I enjoyed, Flash, Season 5, Episode 10, The Flash and the Furious, the hook from 29 or 2049 at the end of the last episode in 2018, which was the time of the show, but uh, it made me wonder about about what was going to happen. And uh, this break, the show after the break starts us right off there. Also ends the episode in 2489. And, and woo, emotion, extra mystery, legacy. I really like how they make sure to have good explanations for Joe and Baby Giraffe's absence. Uh, sorry, friends. Baby Giraffe is Ralph Dibney. But I just love Sherlock's nickname for him. On the court. And me laughing and remembering Danny and our joke about Law and Order Central City. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. You get a Metacrime 99512. And geez, that particle accelerator meant that lots of bad metas did lots of evil things that we have not seen. I'm sure Team Flash has been very busy. Uh, also, a really good use of Weather Witch and Cecile's apparently knock on meta power. Then new wrinkles for villains with Metatech and Lamborghinis. Row, row, uh, Flash. There's there's some problems. There's new conflicts that I didn't expect. And there's also stuff going on um, courtesy of Cisco's Dark Matter injury. There's an Argus Wayne Tech connection for geeks to salivate on. Also, a new baddie in Silver Ghost that is a total twist to the male baddie from Freedom Fighters. A lovely Legends Easter egg in the middle of Sherlock's pro bono private investigation of Flash's kiddo involving chrono linguistics. And yes, oh, 
I love sentences like that. And then there's the sappy flash lines that I love about the character. If we don't believe in people, who will? An episode all about second chances that's operating on all sorts of levels and actually about excess Flash's kiddo, a car with all the bells and whistles that can murder people. Uh, and there's one particular FX shot of that car that is incredibly rad. And this episode was super shway. Really, really good. Uh, Simpsons Season 30, Episode 11, Mad About the Toy. Homer and Marge go on a date and leave Grandpa Simpson in charge. Okay, I haven't even started the episode and I'm so ready for it. Crusty Christmas slime in the opening with Bart with a resolution to quit school and a football couch gag plus Homer singing his own version of the Married with Children song reminded me of the shows on television when the Simpsons and I were young. Nothing turns Marge on more than basic competence. There's Alexa the Greedy Tube, but she's a bad babysitter. Time to go to DEFCON 1, and that's D-E-A-F CON 1, a great gag involving Grandpa. Monopoly, the only game where you can still say Oriental. Thank you for that, Grandpa. Unfortunately, Gramps gets PTSD from the army men that Bart finds, and it's off to the VA hospital with our draft-dodging president salutes you. Yes, biting Simpson's satire on a sign. Now there's lots to talk about after it's discovered Elder Simpson was a model for all of those green army men. And I have to lament wanting my own package of these little green Abes without any luck or hope of ever having them. When Abe was lying in a puddle of his own dishonorable discharge, he became part of a, a time when toys were toys and dangerous to boot. For him, the tiny green plastic war never ended. And hey, the Simpsons get to go back to New York City. There's an N&N store and more, but it's Whizbang Toy Company that matters. Gay men in the 40s and a righteous joke about real men like Rock Hudson. Wait, now it's time to go to Texas, the reluctant home of Ted Cruz. Zing! And, uh... Grandpa needs to make it up to make up, not make out, to a man he ruined the life of. And he, he might punch him in the kisser or kiss him in the puncher. Uh, there's some really fun flashback sequences with Army Men Grandpas. This episode ends lovely too. Then more Army Men and Bart Milhouse and Nelson playing just like I did when I was a wee Wookiee and great picks in the credits. This was a really fun grandpa centric episode. A minus last word. Ha, I win. (laughs) Episode 12 was called The Girl on the Bus. Lisa discovers how life could have been if if, uh, she had culturally refined parents, uh, courtesy of a new bestie. And I do like Lisa episodes, uh, but this wasn't the best of them. Uh, It kicks off with a really, really great couch gag with Thanos. Uh, Then right to the episode in Springfield history, there's lunch boxing, satiring, real boxing, and uh, and a really fun Lisa song at the beginning. Ninja Warrior gets an ultimate tribute in the show, but Lisa is curious of a new kid she saw playing a clarinet, the saxophone's cool black friend. But hello, Springfield Heights. Lots of new uh, things shown that could be on The Simpsons tapped out. Some cool new houses to boot. Also, a girl just like the friend Lisa's described as so many wishing wells. And a great text from Homer about him not being able to find his phone, including the classic Homer fades into the hedge gif. Throwing that gif was so, so much fun in the episode. It really made me laugh. And as far as uh, the pronunciation of gif, deal with how I say it. Because I'm just going to throw out there that it's giraffes and gems, friends. Softja. Uh, I don't I don't care how the creator says it. I don't care what it stands for. It's a gif. Anyways, I laughed out loud uh, with a moment with Flanders pretending to be Homer. Mmm. Deception. Uh, and then Lisa's deception begins. And that's this is the point where I think the episode's sort of like derails uh you get lots of references like french film but they already did that in another lisa episode 
Uh, but there is some really good uh, good music. And then uh, Springfield with Lean Lad, Low Fat Lad, and Gluten Free Guy, uh, Jewish Reverend Lovejoy, while she bikes uh, to her friends. Because her whole plan is between uh, 7.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. She's going to live with her new, her new friend's family and tell them that she has to to be home late and wake up early because of swim lessons. Of course, Lisa's deception is going to come to lie and there's a funny, ah, sight your mom moment. But uh, then there's a dinner with Lisa's new family. Honestly, not much more there. Sort of fizzles out, ends weird, and I think they slipped at the end. Uh, and then there even was a moment where they said, like, Lisa's friend might be a boy. I don't know. I don't know. B minus or something, but, but uh, solid A to the score of the episode. There's really nice music. Now on to Star Wars Resistance, Episode 12, Bebo. Well, you get Z95 Headhunter and uh, Reaper Squadron mentioned from the Clone Wars. An ugly, stinking alien loved by Bebo, causing all sorts of shenanigans. Sonara's double agent deception continues while Jax crushes on her. And uh, also giant sea monsters, Shellfolk and Mel and Isla from previous episodes. Perhaps some Force-sensitive people. Rad images of the Aces. Jax in the Fireball. Honestly, uh, the surprise, it wasn't that surprising, but it was a fun episode. And uh, I, there was lots of fun fighter action and really cool creature designs. And it was super cool. It, uh, it sort of might have seemed like a rehashed uh, Forces of Destiny episode, but that's okay. That's okay. It was, it was fun. It, it was enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. But that's uh, all the television to talk about here. Now it's uh, time to head off into the stacks. Let's do some comics. And fair warning, we're already at like... 50 plus minutes, but I have a lot of comics to talk about and I'm going to do it. So I'm going to try to talk fast. Uh, but while you're listeners having some time off from school, man, I got a lot of time to read a ton of comics. I figured that I'd, I'd read a butt ton and then save reviews or that I would read a butt ton and then save reviews for different episodes. No clue how much I'm going to cover in this solo episode. But before I get started, I figured I would give my top five from 2018. In case you were wondering, I did not go back and look at everything I read uh, and con- and I just constructed this off the top of my head. Uh, I reserve the right to revise the list as needed, but here's my list as of right now. Uh, Number five, Jason Aaron's Avengers. Number four, Justice League Dark, including the Witching Hour crossover with Wonder Woman. Number three, Darth Vader by Charles Soule. Number two, Heroes in Crisis by Tom King. And number one, Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing. All, all really, really great. Honorable mentions, Dark Knight's Metal, only because it covered 2017 as well. But I really did love the hell out of that. I did consider making it my five. Justice League No Justice, as well as all the new Justice League stuff with the Legion of Doom. Brian Michael Bendis' six-issue run of the Man of Steel Millennium series and his current Superman run. All of Tom King's Batman. Uh, and then Mark Wade and Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America. Also all really good. Um, but let's let's get into some comics. What let's see. We'll start with All Star Superman, written by Grant Morrison, pencils by Frank Quietly, digitally inked and colored by Jamie Grant. So fans of this podcast know I'm a big fan of Superman. There is something about the big blue Boy Scout that just represents lots of things that I enjoy. Yes, he's mega overpowered, and yes, he's very homegrown Midwest farm boy with impeccable manners and belief in the inherent goodness of humanity. But I guess that says a lot about me. Uh, I think Kal-El is a tits. One of my goals ever since my oldest kiddo took an affinity for the Man of Steel was to read as many, 
many Superman stories as I could. And one of these that always came up in conversations lately was All-Star Superman, an encapsulated 12-issue run that a lot of people discuss as one of the best of recent years. This comic ran from 2005 to 2008 and is everything people claimed it would be. Here's Superman dealing with the possibility that maybe Lex Luthor succeeded in killing him by overdosing his cells with solar energy, and now he has to contend with it all while still being a superhero on Earth. He proposes to Lois. He also reveals himself to Lois. We get the new idea of a small key only Superman could live for his fortress. There's super bots that patrol his fortress. Lois gets powers for a day. She meets Kroll, Samson, and Atlas. There's Black Kryptonite and Doomsday Jimmy Olsen. Lots of Lex Luthor goodness. Young Superman and versions of him from the future. Fun and bizarro verse and the tragedy of one character there. Replacement super people from Krypton. It's all just so good. And ends way, way different than you might expect. But but there's everything here that is to like about Clark Kent, who saves the world consistently as his counterpart in Red Trunks. And uh, there's contributing characters and lots of smart, wonderful dialogue between everybody. The art is highly satisfying and colorful with Superman with that solid square jaw. Lois Lane is also incredibly beautiful and witty and classic. And Morrison just gets how to tell a grand tale with Kal-El. And I agree that if you dig Superman, you should add this to your reading list. Another another trade I bought at the same time as uh, the All-Star Superman was Fear Itself. It's been a goal of mine to catch up on a lot of the big events in Marvel and DC. And this was an easy choice since I knew it also involved my main man of the Meef, Thor. Written by Matt Fraction. Pencils by Stuart Immonen. Inks by Wade Von Graubadger with Dexter Vine. Colors by Laura Martin with Larry Molinar, Matt Milla, and Justin Ponser. The Red School's daughter, Sin, seeks to continue an evil plan of her daddy's, dating back to Cap, Bucky, and Namor in the past, and the result is the unleashing of ultimate evil, i.e. the serpent, an Asgardian god of fear that even makes Odin think twice. The results are hammers that bring big changes to Sin, Juggernaut, Hulk, Titania, the Absorbing Man, Thing, and Atuma as they become breakers for the serpent. Breakers of stone, breakers of worlds, breakers of men, breakers of ocean, breakers of faith, breaker of souls, breaker of wills, all that should sound ominous. Odin prepares for battle that could be the end of Midworld, aka Earth, and then all this puts him at odds with Thor. The threats are real, and you know things are bad when Captain America does not seem crazy enthusiastic about the odds. Never fear though, there's always hope, and somehow it's actually brought this time by Tony Spark. Tony Stark and his negotiations with Allfather. Also, uh, weapons that he gets bring uh, some of the coolest damage Im images that I've seen in a comic in a long go time. This book is just beautiful and kinetic and menacing. I feel the need to keep some of it secret in case you plan on reading it someday, but trust me when I say, if you like Thor and or Cap, then you really should read this. The art alone makes it worth it, but the story is dang good too. Let's see, what's next in the comics? Um, so the last mega-sized comic review, you may remember me thrilling to the new story of Immortal Hulk. Well, part of that love was me using some holiday money to buy a couple new trades and picking up the Incredible Hulk, Planet Hulk Prelude, and then the tale which follows that. The Prelude collects two comics. One is Fantastic Four, issues 533 to 535, written by J. Michael Straczynski, pencils by Mike McCone, ink by Andy Lanning, Simon Colby, and Cam Smith, colored by Paul Mounts. The other is Incredible Hulk, issues 88 to 91, written by Daniel Way, art by Ken Cha, and Juan Santa Cruz, colors by Jason Keith and William Murray. Intelligent Hulk 
uh, here. So the, when he's all greened up, but he actually using his brain, and he is he is tapped to stop a gamma bomb, but then that literally blows up in his face, and it rattles the rage monster. And now Ben Grimm's thing and Johnny Storm have to stop the angry Gray Hulk in the deserts outside Las Vegas. Any fight showcasing Thing versus Hulk is great. Uh, but it's also very, very cool to see Hulk's internal monologue where he's facing all the failures of his life and having them fuel his fury. It's Doom, great, and ends with lines, which really set up where this all goes. The Hulk stuff figures in a banner trying once more to ostracize himself from society to live in peace with his anger but it's never going to go that great for him but at least we get a bearded hulk out of the whole deal hulk is enlisted by nick fury to stop an evil satellite in space and while the mission is semi-legit it does lead to a vets in planet hulk and uh, it also gives hulk some excellent smashing things in space opportunities planet hulk written by greg pack pencilers include carlo pagalayan Michael Avon Emming, Alex Nino, Marshall Rogers, Aaron Lapresti, and Gary Frank. Inkers include Jeremy Huet, or Jeffrey Huet, Mike Allred, Alex Nino, Tom Palmer, Danny Mickey, Sandu Floria, and John Sabal. Colorists are Chris Sotomayor with Laura Martin and Laverne Kinzierski. Hulk is launched into space by his former allies. But instead of the uninhabited planet that they had planned, he ends up on the planet Sakaar, ruled by a megalomaniac king. Forced to fight as a gladiator, Hulk finds friends and love, but you know happy stories aren't really the Hulk's thing. Ultimately, just a wonderful prelude to World War Hulk, which I have already talked about on the podcast. And this is brilliant, smashing action where Hulk becomes a leader, even if he never planned things that way. For fans of Thor Ragnarok, this story is where we get Meek and Korg. It's bonkers throughout, full of action and just breakneck pacing. There's so much fighting and rebellion and then spores which threaten life and insectoid hives and shadowbound mysticism and prophecies which may or may not speak of Hulk as savior and or world breaker. So much to love in this radical story and that's even without my thrill at seeing Silver Surfer playing a part of it. The story about the green scar, the eye of anger, the world breaker, Harkonnen, Harg, Holku, Hulk is a must read for anyone who enjoys old Jay Jaws, aka the big green dude aka the strongest avenger if you want to know why he'd be mad and come back to destroy iron man mr fantastic and others it will make a lot more sense after you see hulk's time on sakar while it is much different than tika watiti's version of the mcu it is really damn good and i'm so happy i finally got around to reading it the first thing i wanted to do after reading some awesome hulk stories was to reread industry in or uh, immortal hulk and then I did, and uh, it's still my favorite of 2018. And uh, But then I had to keep going with monster stories, and where else to go but Saga the Swamp Thing, book two. So ways back, I actually uh, picked up book two and three of uh, this collection of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. And uh, after I'd read the first one, and I did that, and that made me want to buy more. And uh, I did. I got a little bit extra moolah, and I picked up book two and three. But somehow they just sat with all my trades and weren't read for a while. Uh, But there's nothing like free time between school semesters to make up for that. This is writer Alan Moore, art by Stephen Bissett, John Tottleban, Sean McManus, Rick Veitch, Alfredo Alcala, Ron Randall, and Bernie Wrightson, colored by Tatiana Wood. Collecting Saga the Swamp Thing issues 28 to 34 and annual number 2. There is so much to enjoy in this horror comic. Swampy contending with the earthly remains of Alec Holland, the unearthly romance he has with Abby Arcane, who has her own issues to deal with regarding the strange behavior of her husband Matt and her dead uncle Anton Arcane. There are images that will creep you out, and in one panel you see the Joker has stopped laughing, and that in particular chilled me to the bone. 
poor Abby. Then, if you've ever heard about Swamp Thing descending hell, descending to hell to save his love, that story is right here, including all the goodness that is Dead Man, the Stranger, the Spectre, and Etrigan, the Demon. That story alone makes this worth reading, but then there's a silly story including Pog and alien animals from DC Pass, and then an original Len Wayne and Bernie Wrightson tale paying homage to Cain and Abel from their Houses of Secrets and House of Mysteries. The last one, the last story, I should say, is just trippy and psychedelic and deals with the love of Abby Arcane and Swampy and just has to be read. It's part sex, part communion, all weirdness. Then, then you know, it's just the long and short of all this is that that these Alan Moore stories are so great. They bring so much good horror and heart to the tale of a creature from the swamp, an elemental protector of the green on earth. It's all wonderful. And when Swamp Thing throws down, he kicks some serious barking butt. Uh, I actually have dived into book three, but I haven't finished it yet because uh, school started. And, and when I'm doing my reading, I, uh, I need to do school reading. In fact, I probably should be doing school reading right now and not recording. But that's how much I like you. What are we going to go to next? Immortal Hulk. Issue 11, writer Al Ewing, penciler Joe Bennett, inker Roy Jose, and colorist Paul Mounts continue the story of a Hulk who can't die and what sort of evil lies behind the green door. This issue is an exploration of what is hell and just where in the hell Hulk, Bis McGee, Carl Creel, and Puck have ended up. Lots of familiar faces arrive in this bonkers story interspersed with some damn fine philosophical rumination. These pages turn so fast and wonderfully. There is plenty here for Hulk to get mad about. You know that it usually never goes well, but it is fun to watch. Foo dabgum diggity do. I enjoy this run of the Hulk, and I, I, I was sort of bummed when I finished this issue. I was like, I have to wait for more. Uh, what up? Uh, Star Wars Age of Republic, Obi-Wan Kenobi, written by Jody Hauser, pencils by Corey Smith, and Wilton Santos, inked by Walden Wong, colors by Java Tartaglia. These one-shots have been really fun to read, and this one carries on in the goodness department. Obi-Wan contemplates what kinds of master he hopes to be, how he actually sees himself in training young Anakin. There's Yoda, another Jedi, also here, as well as a mission for Master and Padawan this lovely battle against pirates, but the win is the thoughts of Obi-Wan regarding his responsibilities towards his Padawan that really resolve wonderfully at the end. It's an encapsulated story, but really does fit beautifully into canon. This by far is my favorite of the three Republic comics that I've read so far. And that could also be the result of uh, the character explored here. My Obi-Wan bias aside, I think this is lovely. It also provides some more regarding Kenobi's thoughts about Qui-Gon Jinn. Seriously, check it on. Check it out. Uh, other Star Wars comics I read, Han Solo Imperial Cadet Issue 3, Written by Robbie Thompson, art by Leonard Kirk, and art by Arif Prianto. This miniseries fills in young Solo's time at the Karita Academy for Imperial Pilots and continues the fun from the previous two issues. Solo needs to somehow bond with his compatriots at the school. And in a classic Han scam, he does just that. Even better, we get to see Han being the scoundrel in a casino that we'd hope to see. And the way him and his flight mates end up in the situation is fun and believable too. And we learn more about the other cadets as well as explore Han's desire to be back with Kira. Really interesting, really fun. I still know some people won't like this since it's so connected to the solo film, which I've again watched recently on Netflix and still really enjoy. But if you do dig this era of solo, I think you will like this comic. Next, Flash, issue 61, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Christian Deuce, and colored by Luis Guerrero. 
Flash and Fuerza have to somehow get out of the mix-up with Sage Force Weapons and Cortal Maltese, which is brought against them by Cauldron. The way the two heroes contend with the bat is explored, and to say it puts them at odds is an understatement. Then it's off to Zandia, where any fan of Flash's rogues gallery will get all sorts of eye candy, and the reveal of a new player and a spy named Bashir, aka Saikir, may or may not be a good guy. Just more good Flash storytelling on his Force Quest, which I'm thoroughly enjoying, and the art here is also wonderful to look at. Action Comics, issues 1006, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Ryan Souk, and colored by Brad Anderson. Clark Kent is tracking down the story about Metropol or Metropolis politicians' involvement in the mystery fires. Well, Miss Good, new reporter of the Daily Planet, is keen to report on the Red Cloud and Superman being evenly matched. To that end, we get more fighting for Red Cloud and Superman and the reveal of who the big boss is that is controlling the Invisible Mafia as well. Uh, the final panel should make any fans of the Big Blue Boy Scout very intrigued. Uh, also, there's a throwaway line from Jimmy Olsen about dating Talia al Ghul, which still has me curious, although it is a throwaway line. All in all, this story gets better and better, and I'm on board with where this is all going. I dig the new character of Fire Chief Melody more. I dig the character of, uh, of, of uh, what's her name, Miss Good, and I like the Red Cloud, and... Uh, I, I, I like uh, I, I also like that the fire chief sort of crushes on Superman and uh, I like the Superman fighting a villain that he can't actually touch but just has to blow away with super breath really fun stuff and that reveal with the big bad of the invisible mafia oh my goodness all the way back to action comics one you have to read it check it out but it's like what in the what wow uh, heroes in crisis issue four written by Tom King art by Clay Mann and color by Tome or Tome More. It's T O M E U. So Tome More. The massacre at Sanctuary dives deeper into characters with moments for Tempest, Donna Troy, Green Arrow, and Black Canary, Flash, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Uh, all of them are keen to figure out. Uh, what's going on but booster gold being in their custody does not go as planned there's a wonderful fight moment for harley quinn and batgirl juxtaposed with barbara's therapy moment in sanctuary four or five pages in there's also the single sexiest i think the lowest lane has ever been drawn and the stuff going on on her end with leaks regarding sanctuary adds that extra room for this story and also causes tension for our heroes this is so good I really can't wait for what's to come. Yay for Tom King and and what continues to be the best event in comics that I've read in a long, long time. Uh, next up, Wonder Woman issues 48 to 61 and annual number two, Justice League Dark issues one to six. Yeah, those are a lot of comics, um, but I finally caught up with Wonder Woman. Issues 48 and 49 written by James Robison, art by Jesus Marino, colored by Romulo Fajardo Jr., Dark Gods of Chaos and and Bloody War and Doubt Threaten Earth and it is up to Dana's brother Jason to stop them. But is his armor imbued with the powers of the old gods enough? Well, maybe not, but that is why this universe has a Justice League. Yay for Hot Girl, Cyborg, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Batman, Flash, and Supergirl filling in for her cousin. You know it's going to go crazy when there's a fourth god who calls himself King Best and what goes down with the Justice League is is fun. I also like that there's meta conversation about how so many gods have appeared with all the source wall craziness after Dark Knight's Metal. Anywho, it's ultimately Diana and Jason to save the day, but it's not an easy feat. Of course, there's an interlude since Wonder Woman disappears at the beginning of 48. That's all explained in Annual Number 2, written by Robinson with art by Mark Laming, Fraser Irving, and Steven Segovia, colored by David Barron, Irving, and Alan 
Pasalakwa. Abducted by the star sapphires of Zamoran, there's one more dark god to contend with who is a god of cruel love. We learn about the origins of, of that god and why they now threaten Earth. And even better get ties to not only Dark Knight's Metal, but Blackest Night. Too cool and yay for a lesson about love, courtesy of Star Sapphire Diana. Then we're back to Earth, where now all dark, five Dark Gods are not playing nice with the people and heroes of Earth. It's up to Jason and Diana to fix things, but you know it's going to have to get harder before it isn't. Issue 50 concludes Robinson's story with art by Steven Segovia, Marino, Andy Owens, Manuela Lupacino, and Ray McCarthy. Colored by Romulo Fajardo Jr. and Chris Sotomayor. I have to say, the way this all finishes totally surprised me. And wowza for the heroics of Jason. I refuse to spoil it, but it's very good. Again, wowza. Issue 51 switches to Steve Orlando as writer. Art by Laura Braga. Colored by Fajardo Jr. This is one of those stories that just reminds you of the things that make Wonder Woman the best. And is a lovely story. All following her, her visiting a villain of hers in prison. Mayfly from issue 28 if you're curious. It's a lovely story worth reading. Anywho, anyone who spends time rehabilitating those they once fought is a worthy hero. Issue 52 and 53 is Orlando with pencils by Akko, ink by David Lorenzo, color by Fajardo Jr. 53 adds to art, art by Hugo Petrus for some pages. And these stories start a new one called uh, Enemy of, of Both Sides. It's a different story and visually overwhelming as the new iteration of Aztec... Uh, new iteration of Aztec, who is a superhero, joining forces with Diana and Artemis to rescue Atalanta, a missing Amazon. And then they end up battling forces of Aztec mythology. Tez Catalapoca seeks to bring the Earth into the shadow. Uh, and, and, and it's up to our four heroines from divergent mythologies to stop him and his hordes in the 13 heavens. It's fun, but the visuals are wild. And sometimes hard to follow. Still good, but not my favorite story. But it's not over since Artemis, Atalanta, and Diana are headed to the home of Bana Migdal, Amazons who left Themyscira and aligned with Egyptian gods. There's trouble on that Karachi home front in issues 54 and 55 by Orlando with art by Raul, Raul Allen and Patricia Martin, colored by Borgia Pindado. Also a character from Suicide Squad Past named Rustam playing a part. It's all pretty interesting, and since the Aztec weirdness got us to this part of the story with Diana versus the Bon Amigdal and Karak, I'll, I'll smile and enjoy Wonder Woman being an awesome ambassador of hope with the power to make war and the absence of it. Lots of good stuff here, especially between Diana and Artemis, and there is even a connection to the Dark Side War. Now we head to a new story called The Witching Hour, but first, the first three issues of Justice League Dark. Since that story includes one from uh, Justice League Dark, I figured I'd catch up on them first. I gotta say, once I knew there would be new adventures for the darker and magical Justice League, I had to pull the comics. Plus, what is not to love about Wonder Woman leading a team that includes Detective Chimp, Zatanna, Man Bat, Constantine, and Bearded Swamp Thing. All three issues written by James Tinney and the fourth, pencils by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, inks by Raul Fernandez, and color by Brad Anderson. This crazy story called The Last Age of Magic is all sorts of dark wonderfulness. We get scotchy bits of Jason Blood and other magic users and some crazy stuff in the Tower of Fate with Dr. Fate himself and the Lord of Order Nabu. The whole source wall breakage courtesy of Dark Knight Metal and the battle in Justice League No Justice now leads to a battle over the fate of magic itself in the DC Universe and somehow Wonder Woman's unlikely team of heroes has to do something about it. Guess the good news is a mysterious event in Dana's childhood on Themyscira. Wowza, this really was freaking fantastic and exactly what I wanted 
and more for this series. Tinning is such a good comic writer, but we're not we're not done since we get to do the crossover story that connects connects Diana's single issues to the Justice League Dark stuff. This whole story called The Witching Hour. It starts in Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark, The Witching Hour number one, kicks us off. Written by Tinian the Fourth, art by Jesus Marino, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. And before I begin, the story is great and worth reading and, and being surprised by. So if you want to avoid any spoilers at all, skip ahead. I'll try not to give anything huge away, but it's sort of hard to talk about it and not mess up anything for you. Anywho, that's my due diligence. So let's get magical and also connect the JLD to the Justice League. Crazy things are afoot for Diana Prince and also for a character folks probably haven't seen in a while. One Rebecca Carstairs, aka Witchfire, just gets curiouser and curiouser and DC DC's God game continues in relation to Wonder Woman. Speaking of, in issue 56 of her comic, the story continues. This is still Tinian. Pencils by Emanuela Lupacino, ink by Ray McCarthy, color by Fajardo Jr. Unicorns and Circe and Manitou down... Manitou Dawn and Dead Man. Oh my. Hello, Hecate, the triple goddess of mattress. Of mat- mattress. No, she's the goddess of magic. The witch mother and her reaction to the dark forces threatening Earth. And hello, Wonder Woman's answer to it. On to some righteous magical fun in Nanda Parbat. Injustice League Dark Issue 4, written by Tinian with the same JLD art team of Penciler Alvaro, Martinez Bueno, Inker Raul Fernandez, and colorist Brad Anderson. You want Hakate's witch-marked woman fighting a story that includes members of the Justice League Dark and Rama Kushna herself? Yes, this is that bonkers, friends. And it's not just there. We get Swamp Thing doing awesome Earth Elemental things, but now the Parliament of Trees is under attack from Hakate with another of her witch-marked. I really want to say who got picked, but uh, there have to be some surprises. Glossing over the story, trying to keep it as unspoiled as possible, but that is certainly hard. Wonder Woman issue 57 goes on to the next battle. This is Tinian, Lupacino, McCarthy, and Fajardo back on art. So much going on, and it's all magical, mystical, amazingness. Dana trying to fight, although in a different way than you might think, against the Mistress of the Moon. So many M's, and while I love alliteration, I'm going to try to stop. Move over, friends, for wonderful enchanted stuff. And yay for Constantine and Zatanna still fighting, even though they are way outmatched. The whole crazy bananas tale ends in Justice League Dark and Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour 1. Well, I almost feel sorry for that appealing pun considering detective chimp is part of this team let me just say this conclusion of the whole hikate threat is so incredibly satisfying wonder woman is always at the heart a tale of empowerment and how the best of femininity and strength can change the world for the better and finding a way to keep that core story within a tale of magical forces that could destroy the world is really amazing then they contend with otherworldly forces. Diana gets to be the kick-ass hero I love to read. And they find a way to leave a cliffhanger that rocks my head and makes me want to go back and reread the whole thing. Heck yeah, friends. This kind of story is why I spend so much time and money on the comic book medium. Fuck you, Bill Maher. Uh, hopefully you were interested in reading it too and enjoyed it even half as much as me. That, of course, means I enjoyed it twice as much as you. And while that's a bad joke, it is accurate math. I really hope someone out there did thrill to this magical adventure just like your humble podcast host and wow. I'm still marveling at that great story, but we have to have to keep going with uh, Wonder Woman issue 58 to 61. The writer is now G. Willow Wilson, and hooray for this talented Muslim lady who has grown a fan base writing Kamala Khan 
Getting a Crack at the Goddess of Truth. For issues 58 to 60, pencils are Carrie Nord, ink by Mick Gray, and colors by Rami Lofajardo Jr. Issue 61's art switches to Zermanico seamlessly. This arc is called The Just War and features all sorts of Greek mythology goodness, but mainly a resurrected Ares trying to find his place in a world of unconventional warfare. Steve Trevor is in danger, which you know brings Diana into the fray. Everything goes down in Doravnia, a fictional country fraught with civil war where American interests may not make them the good guys. Diana has to, um, well, basically she has to face the realities of, of modern proxy wars and also contend with monsters and, and gods of ancient Greece. And frankly, it's wonderful. Bad pun aside, this is really good. I don't want to spoil this arc since it's so recent, but there's not just one god but two. And discussions of love and war and choosing sides, plus lots of action and explosions and lots more goodness. I think I like Zermanico's art the best, but the reveal before uh, before that person took over is real cool. I know I say it a lot for a lot of different geeky things, but this is good stuff. And it was a pleasure to catch up on all the fantastic current adventures of Wonder Woman. Of course, catch-up means I also did read uh, the most current issue of Justice League Dark that follows the whole witching hour. Uh, this is still James Tinney in the fourth writing. Pencils by Daniel Sampier, inks by Juan Albarn, colors by Adriana Lucas for all the fantastic pages across issues five and six. What I love about this is how the story centers on Detective Chimp and his new duties as Nightmaster, guardian of the magical realms of Mira with, with his night sword. Of course, these duties come to him by events in Dark Knight's Metal. Exploring the headspace of this character is just so dang good, and the stuff that goes down when Wonder Woman, Man Bat, Zatanna, and Bobo go to Mira is really good. Even better, Swamp Thing and Constantine have their own deal at the Tree of Wonder. Uh, see no justice for what the Tree of Wonder is, but uh, they contend with magical menaces of their own that I'm not going to spoil, but are awesome. There's some real classic Swamp Thing characters that show up, and this fuzzball is just so happy reading everything as it goes down, while also exploring the torments and demons of different Justice League Dark characters. So dang good. My friends, we're almost at an hour 20, and uh, there is more comics to discuss but i think i'm gonna stop here i don't i don't want this episode to get terribly long which means uh there will be even more comics i'm gonna talk about um i i've caught up on on captain america namely but that's a, a lot more issues to discuss um and i also have have read a bunch more comics there's a whole pile of comics there uh wow i read all of old man hawkeye which i haven't even talked about yet and then, uh, oh yeah, I caught up on Weapon X, but that that's just gonna have to wait for uh, the next uh, the next round, the next level of the podcast. This is enough for now. I really hope you enjoy uh, getting a bunch of comics, and uh, yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed doing the podcast. So thanks, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for uh, listening to me for an hour and twenty minutes. Thanks for being great. Thanks for being a good listener. Uh, lots more TV to come, lots more comics to come, lots more news to come, and uh, hopefully some guest episodes in the middle. I'm really hoping my geeky friends will get together and give me some episodes backlog. so if school gets really crazy, I can guarantee something gets up for y'all. But uh, I appreciate you. I, I hope you will be excellent to each other. I hope you will party on, dudes. I hope you will come back for the next uh, episode of the podcast and uh, enjoy this geeky adventure about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. But uh, thanks for being you. I am Joe the Wookiee Riot. TTFN. Wookiee. Out.